Welcome to this edition of Vision Loss, How Others Have Coped, brought to you by Ayers LA. I'm Joe Yurka. Today I'll be reading you an article from the August 18, 2011 New York Times, Dialogue in the Dark, an exhibition opening on Saturday, August 20, 2011, at the South Street Seaport in New York City. The article was written by Edward Rothstein. Darkness, visible and palpable. In the land of the blind, as you learn in the exhibition Dialogue in the Dark, which opens on Saturday at the South Street Seaport, the one-eyed man hasn't a chance. The genius of this presentation, more a form of participatory theater than an exhibition, is that for the hour or so it takes to make your way through its mysteries, you really are blind. It isn't that you get some idea of what it's like to be blind, or that you approximate the condition of blindness, or that you are metaphorically blind. No. For most of your visit here, you can see absolutely nothing. Not your hand in front of your face, nor the legs of the person you keep bumping into, nor the fountain of water you hear, nor the unhusked corn on the supermarket shelves you handle nor the stairs that drop you into the cacophonous roar of what seems to be the New York City subway system. You swing your cane in an arc on the ground in front of you, from 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock, as taught in an introductory video, and that provides the main warning of what lies ahead. There is also the stumbling conversation of the other blind novitiates, but we are all really dependent on the voice of our guide, Romeo Edmead, a vigorous, charming man, completely unruffled by the tumult we find around us. He's not only comfortable navigating the slopes and turns of the path, but also able, from the very start, to locate and name us as we grope and blunder in pitch darkness. He was blinded by glaucoma at age two, but here it is we who are the infants. To see things through another person's eyes in this case means not seeing anything at all. We are meant to try to, quote, see, unquote, those scenes most familiar to us, a fountain in Central Park, the fairway supermarket, the subway, Times Square with its traffic and street vendors, a cafe, the way a blind person would. We never for a minute think we are really in those various settings, but aspects of them, the feel of gravel underfoot, the sound of an approaching train, the scent of coffee, or the shelves stocked with goods that can only be distinguished through smell and touch, are here. The exhibition is a bit like the anti-gravity simulators used by astronauts, only here we are really training for the re-entry, for returning to the sunlit city with expanded awareness of a world without sight. For an hour we have to revise our assumptions. Don't bend at the waist, we are told. If we want to feel something, we would risk banging our heads on invisible obstacles. Instead, bend at the knees. More than just habits are transformed. Usually when we see something, we see it in advance. We know we can approach it. We can assess it as we move forward. Sight helps shape our sense of the future. Here we have a different experience of time. Sounds help us anticipate, but in this strange, darkened space, even voices seem to float positionless in a void. We don't know what is about to happen. 
we aren't sure where we have been, and it is a problem finding out just where we are. No wonder horror movies rely on darkness. Anything can take shape in front of our eyes and we would hardly know it. The world becomes immaterial in one respect, but all too solid with dangers in another. We are actually making our way through carefully constructed paths in galleries at the Seaports Exhibition Center that have been thoroughly vetted to minimize danger. Two tours, usually ten visitors apiece, run through nearly identical courses. They each begin with the groups being ushered into a preview room and learning from a video about blindness and the experience ahead. The blind guide sits in silence. Then the lights dim. All cameras, phones, and light-emitting watch dials must be checked, and we are in a world that only the blind find familiar. Ultimately, the guide's voice becomes our touchstone, and his arm an invaluable aid in negotiating unexpected steps. He is alert to each of our sounds, and as patient with our inabilities to make our way in his world, he is alert to each of our sounds, and as patient with our inabilities to make our way in his world, as his instructors must have once been in teaching him how to navigate ours. And the worlds, of course, are one and the same. The experience is so intense and the method so simple that it is surprising how unique and fresh it feels. And yes, it has been done before, since 1988, with great success. A version of this show has been presented in 35 countries with five permanent exhibitions in Brazil, Israel, and Italy, and two in Germany. As many as six million people have experienced it. The idea was developed by Andreas Heinecke, a German journalist and filmmaker who in 1986 had to design a rehabilitation program for a newly blinded colleague. Mr. Heineke was awakened to the difficulties of the blind and to the subtle denigration and fear that often greeted them. A version of this show, developed a few years later, was one response. He didn't just want to provide insight into blindness. His goal was more didactic, deliberately placing those who might feel somewhat superior in a position where they were dependent on those who were apparently inferior. He has said that he wants visitors to reach an understanding of the other. In some of Mr. Heineke's literature, it can sound like a form of social work. Quote, the exhibition encourages teamwork, trust, and understanding, and allows visitors to gain a greater appreciation of the power of communication and the abilities of others. End quote and in a profile prepared when he was awarded an Ashoka Fellowship in 2005 as a social entrepreneur, we learn that he has been interested in expanding his project beyond blindness, creating experiences that deal with old age, migration, exile, and crime and punishment. In a 2008 talk at a TED conference, he explained that he was also influenced by his discovery that he was born to a Jewish mother whose family was murdered in Nazi camps and a German father whose relatives were Nazi loyalists. Why, he wondered, did the Germans fail to transcend their stereotypes and hatreds? The risk in this approach is that it will sweep all of human life and suffering into a vast empathetic net that slights differences and detail which are, after all, at the heart of empathy. 
This approach also has its limits. Getting too deeply absorbed in the world of the other can overly soften perceptions of some crimes. It can also replace notions of individual responsibility with something more indulgent. But these are complicated issues, and it is a tribute to the power of this show that never once do we crash into a pointed message-making machine or bang against any pedagogical edges. Mr. Heineke and his company, Dialogue Social Enterprise, have created an exhibition that really does draw on the best possibilities of human understanding, formed by social interaction in unsettling conditions. The New York version, like the one at Atlanta, which opened in 2008 and is still operating, is organized by Premier Exhibitions. Judging by Mr. Edmead, the company has hired talented blind guides, 16 so far. At the end of the tour, he sits with visitors in a mock cafe that gradually slides from darkness into light, answering questions about being blind in a visual world. If anything, the tour was too short, but it seemed to justify the initial quotation on the wall from the German-Jewish philosopher Martin Buber. The only way to learn is through encounter. Buber cherished the notion of dialogue, hence the exhibition's title. And while it isn't the only way to learn, in this case the result is an eye-opener. Dialogue in the Dark opens on Saturday at the South Street Seaport Exhibition Center, 11 Fulton Street at Front Street, Lower Manhattan. On the web, it's dialognyc.com. I'll spell that for you. D-I-A-L-O-G-N-Y-C dot com. That's the end of this edition of Vision Loss, How Others Have Coped. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to learn about the latest podcast at Airs LA, simply follow us on Facebook. To do that, you go to www.facebook.com slash A-I-R-S-L-A. And if you do like what you see there, be sure and click the like button. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired listeners. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Joe Yurka. Thanks for listening. Thank you.